I really liked that song the first Sunday we did this series. And three Sundays in, I'm over it. <laughs> With all due respect, it just reminds me of why I like a band up here. I, I don't even know how to clog or square dance, but like I feel like I should clog or square dance when that song comes on. How many of you are old enough to remember, I'm going to age myself here, when they taught square dancing in school? Yeah, that was the good days, boy. Have square dance. I don't remember any of it, you know, but man, yeah, they used to teach square dancing in school. That's how we roll when I was young. Recently on Facebook, I asked this question. If you were to sit down and have a conversation with Jesus, what's the question that you would ask him? You and Jesus are sitting there, you're a Reformation brewery, you crack open a beer, everybody just feels good, and you're like, Jesus, let me ask you a question. For the Baptists that are watching, you're at a coffee shop. For, <laughs> for the Baptists that are watching, you're at your house drinking a beer with Jesus because you can do it privately, but you can't do it publicly. And you get to ask Jesus a question. What's the question that you'd ask him? I asked that on Facebook and was blown away by the responses that we got. I could literally do 52 weeks on this series with the questions. I mean, heartfelt questions, sincere questions, questions that people truly were struggling with in life and wanted answers to. But I'd be bored with it because I'm already bored with this series and we're only three weeks in, so we're not going to do that. But we took the top three questions and we're going to answer those. And then next week, I'm going to close out the series with the question that I would ask Jesus. Jesus, why do most Christians suck? That's my question. Bono said, I have no problem with Jesus. It's his followers that I don't like. I can't wait to answer that question next week. But this week... We're going to answer the third most asked question. The first week of the series, we, we answered the question, can God really forgive me of my mistakes? Last week, we answered the question, why do bad things happen to good people? This week, especially if you're a first-time guest, this is going to be a way different sermon than we normally do. I'm a very practical teacher. I want you to leave here even if you don't believe there is a God to say, man, I can take those principles and apply them to my life. Today I got to get a little deep and one thing that I don't do very well is get deep. I like to keep the cookies on the bottom shelf or everybody can have one. And so I'm going to try to take this deep subject today and I'm going to try to simplify it the best I can. It doesn't matter if I wow you with my theological expertise if you don't understand what I'm talking about. The other problem is, is I don't have a lot of theological expertise, so I couldn't do that anyway. But we're going to answer this question today. <laughs> Let's back that up. We're going to try to answer this question today based on my understanding of the Bible. Some of you will disagree with what I say today, and that's good. We'll figure out the real answer when we get to heaven. I'm not going to argue with you about it. I'm not going to de debate theology with you about it. I'm going to try to give you in my limited understanding because the question was asked over and over and over the best I can what the Bible says about it. And it's this question, what happens when we die? What happens when we die? The biggest issue with answering this question is, I don't know anybody who's died and come back to talk about it. I've read some books by people who said they died and they saw the light and blah, blah, blah. And the problem is there's 10 different books on the subject and they all say they saw different things. I don't know if they actually died or they were on a good acid trip. I'm not real sure. It's a controversial question. It's a question that's hard to answer. And, and, and the subject of death makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Christine will not talk about it. I try to talk all the time because I just feel like one day eventually you have a mouth like mine. Someone's going to shoot me 
And I want to make sure, because I like to do everything big, that my funeral is the biggest thing Canton's ever seen. So I try to talk to her about it. Here's how I want it. I want flames and fireworks, videos. I want it to be incredible. And she gets mad. She literally gets mad. I'm not talking to you about that. Go write it down. So I've written about 35 pages of what my funeral should be like. (laughs) It's going to be epic. Hopefully it's not for about another 50 years. 97, I don't, we don't need more than 97 years than me. But people get uncomfortable. People get real uncomfortable when you start talking about death. I know people that won't even go to a funeral home because it freaks them out. I get it. I know people that won't go to a cemetery because it freaks them out. Right behind my office in downtown Canton is the old historic cemetery. And so when I go walk around, a lot of times I need to get out, stretch my legs, have some sunshine. I go walk around that cemetery. And I've had people ask me, they're like, man, that's kind of creepy. I'm like, is it creepy? Like, I just kind of looked at it as it was lazy because Main Street's hilly and the graveyard's flat. So it's, it's, it's easier to walk around. I was never really a fan of death, to be honest with you. And I was kind of spared a lot from death as a child. I didn't deal with it a lot. Until about my second week in ministry, I was a youth pastor at a church. I was a youth pastor at a church for six weeks. I was not designed for youth. After about six weeks, they moved me to being the college, they called it college and career pastor. I kind of found my niche with single adults and grew a huge singles ministry, but I was not very good with teenagers. But I'd been on staff at a church for about two weeks and a couple in the church, his son was in an automobile wreck, and he was killed. It was about 3 a.m. when the pastor called me. He said, we've got to go down to Grady. That's where he was. You don't want to go to Grady at 3 in the afternoon, much less 3 a.m. And we get there, and we got there before the family, and the family had made it clear that they wanted to see their son And I'll never forget the doctor pulled my pastor off to the side and he said, listen, we're not staffed to get this body cleaned up. This family doesn't want to see their son like this. This is back, you probably couldn't do this nowadays. This is 20-something years ago. And my pastor said, well, we're going to clean the body up. I thought he had a mouse in his pocket. I said, who's going to clean the body up? He said, we are. Two weeks into the job. I didn't think that's what ministry was. I thought ministry was I got to get on stage and yell at people on Sundays. So we go down there and they pull back the sheet. And I can close my eyes and picture it. And I immediately grabbed the trash can and threw up. The pastor pulls out some, I guess, get some rags from there and he starts cleaning up the blood and trying to, and he's, he's having me do it. About 60 seconds into it, I puke again. I can tell he's getting irritated. We're cleaning him up. And then some of the gook from the body gets on my hand. Now, if you've ever been in the hospital with me, you know how I roll at the hospital. My hands are in my pockets. And even though my hands are in my pockets the entire time, what do I do, Chris? Anytime we pass the sanitizer, Hospitals freak me out. I don't want to touch that nasty germs. So the gook from the dead body touches me. Now I'm really puking. And my pastor snaps. He looks at me and says, I need you to man up. I look at him. I'm white. I can just, I can just tell you how the, you can just tell when the colors left your body. I'm so grossed at He said, Are you not a Christ follower? I said, I am. He goes, this is just a body. Clean it up for that family. And I don't know what happened. It was like something flipped in my head. And I cleaned up the body. And ever since then, I've never really been affected by death in that area. But people get really weird when it comes to death. (laughs) 
Have you ever landed? Anybody ever flown into Fort Worth, Texas? Anybody? I used to fly in there every year for a conference that they would bring me in to teach at. And Right when you fly into Fort Worth, Texas, you get on the interstate. And on the right-hand side of the interstate is a big, huge building with big neon letters, the casket store. How'd you like to be a sales guy at the casket store? Like, I don't really understand how that works. Would you like to try one on? Let me ask you a question. What's it going to take to close this deal today? It's really not a two-for-one thing because you only need one. I'm cheap. I'd be wanting to look where the dentist... Hey, is there a dentist section? You know? But I always thought how miserable it must be to know you work at the casket store. But it's massive. I bet it's 50,000 square feet building. The parking lot's always full. I didn't even know people bought caskets ahead of time. But apparently they do. That's Christine's headache after I die. Gold plated, don't forget. <laughs> Most people are freaked out by death, but the reality is death's on a lot of people's minds. It is the unknown of life. And the reality is it's a very important topic. If you take notes, I want you to write this down. If you take notes, I want you to take a picture of it when we put it up on the screen. It's very important because here's the deal. What you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live. I want you to think about that. What you believe now about death and eternity will have a huge bearing on how you live the life that you have. For example, atheists. They don't believe there's an afterlife. They don't believe there's a God. They believe you stop breathing and you become worm dirt. So think about it. If that is what you believe, why would you not live a life that was catered to whatever you wanted it to be? You ever notice that? I'm not trying to be mean today. Atheists are some of the most selfish people you'll ever meet in your life. They're some of the least generous people. They're some of the most angry people. They're some of the most condescending people. But why not? If there's nothing after we take our last breath, then what is the motivating factor in living a life that is deemed good? There's not. Some people believe in purgatory. They believe once you die, you go to a certain place, and your loved ones can give to the church or pray to the church to get you to the next place. It's kind of cool. It'd be bad for me because most of my family doesn't like me. But really, you can leave any way you want to. Just make sure your family loves you, and when you die, they're going to spend all the money and all the prayers to get you to the next place. Kind of dictates how you live. Islam teaches that in the end, Allah will judge our good deeds versus our bad deeds. If our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, then we get to go to their version of heaven. So that would motivate how you live. You want to make sure that the good things you do outweigh the bad things you do. So you got to keep a tally. You do 998 bad things, you better just make sure you do 999 good things. Easy peasy. Some people believe when we die, we become angels. Fat, bald, heart-playing angels. I don't really know where that comes from. It's no religion. Maybe Hollywood. A lot of things I want from some of you, but to you be my guardian angel is not one of them. People, some people believe in reincarnation. We all come back as something, and what we come back as is determined how we live our life here. If you lived your life good, you come back as something good. I don't know what good would be, but if you live your life bad, you come back as something bad. I'll never forget when I was in Bible college. It's the only time ever in my life I had a real job. I worked for Motorola on a production line. Can you picture me on a production line? I ran the screw gun. Four screws in the bottom of a phone charger. 
Did it for about seven months. It's the only time I've ever had a job in my life. Literally, the only time I've ever had a job, well, I guess when I was in high school, I worked for Taco Bell and Dairy Queen for like three months apiece. But I used to have this person who believed in reincarnation and they knew I was in Bible class and I always wanted to debate with me. Gary, if you were to be reincarnated, what would you come back as? I said, nah, I don't believe in reincarnation. I know, just amuse me. We got eight hours. They just amuse me. And I remember one time he told me, finally I had enough. He's like, man, you know, if I came back, I, I'd believe I'd come back as a tree. How about you, Gary? What would you come back as? I said, man, I don't believe in reincarnation. Because that was hardcore then. I was like, I'm not even going to talk about those type of things. Gary, just amuse me, man. If you could come back as any, what would you come back as? I said, you're coming back as a tree? Yeah. I said, I'm coming back as a dog. And I'm going to show you what I think about reincarnation. You never ask me that question again. <laughs> the bottom line is, is what we believe about death and eternity determines how we live our life here. So what do we know about death? Because the reality is, we don't know a lot. The Bible does talk about it, but the Bible does not necessarily get in depth about it. But we can pull some principles out, we can pull some verses out, and we can hodgepodge some stuff together about death. Not an exciting topic, not something I would normally want to teach about, but you ask the questions. So if you're bored today, blame yourself. Because I didn't write this series, you did. I'd much rather answer some fun questions. God, what's my purpose? God, how do I have great sex? You say, you'd answer that? The Bible talks about it. Whole book, Song of Solomon about it. Phil gets mad every time I teach on it. So, we should do a sex series soon. How many of you have been here when I've done a sex series? Oh, not many of you at all. What's good? It will change your life. Uh Uh-huh. Now, I did learn a valuable lesson on doing a sex series. I got the bright idea at this church one time. The last week of a sex series, I was going to do Q&A. Send me your questions, and I will answer them. Well, I learned you are some perverted people. With some sick, demented minds. And I never, it's literally 25 years of pastoring, 27 years of pastoring. The only time I've ever been uncomfortable in my life. I could close my eyes next door and remember some of the questions I had to answer. So we will never do that again. But you ask this question, what happens when we die? Well, the first thing we need to understand is this, death is certain. If you came here today for a Joel Osteen feel good, unicorns farting bubbles sermon, here's your Debbie Downer. You, me, we're going to die. One out of one people, they die. Ten out of ten studies show, they die. Hundred dentists out of a hundred dentists recommend. They die. As long as the Lord waits to come back, every one of us here today will come to the day when we take our last breath. Death is certain. The studies are conclusive. One out of one die, they do. You're going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. But you got to understand that. Death is certain. You need to understand that, though you feel invincible, though you're not thinking about it, you're not promised tomorrow. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, Everybody here will die. Hebrews says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting on him. (laughs) Scripture says we all die, and Scripture says we all face judgment. You need to understand that. 
And, and what happens at judgment will depend on what you did with Christ in your lifetime. The problem is, we will all die, we will all meet Jesus, and imperfect things cannot go into a perfect place. The Bible says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. We have all messed up around here. People find it shocking when I mess up. He's a pastor. Okay. We're more psycho in the head than any of y'all. I'll never forget, Christina, I've been together about nine months, and I take a phone call. It's probably about the 20th time this had happened in nine months. She said, who's that? I said, a buddy of mine's a pastor. What's he calling for? Oh, you don't want to know. She said, God, all you pastors are messed up. I was like, all people are messed up. We just put pastors on a pedestal. We put them somewhere they shouldn't be. They're more screwed up and have more temptations than anybody. So we all face judgment. We've all sinned. We all come short of the glory of God. Our imperfection keeps us from a perfect place. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God sent his son to live on this earth, to live a perfect life, to die on a cross, to take on the burden of our sins. He didn't stay dead. He rose on the third day. He conquered death. And he paid the price that we could never pay. Because let me give you a newsflash. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. You can't make enough money to buy your way into heaven. Your church membership, and this is good news for us, it's not, it does not enable you to get into heaven. God's not impressed with your good deeds because your best deeds fall short of perfection. Death is certain, and we will face judgment. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the good news. God did not choose a plan of salvation. He chose a man of salvation. He chose his son to pay a debt we couldn't pay. No matter how hard we tried, no matter how bad we wanted to, we couldn't pay it. So death is certain. Not only is death certain, I need you to understand this. Number two, the soul and the body at death separate. Very vital to understand that. The soul and the body separate. You are not your body. Somebody said amen. This is skin. It's flesh. It's a tent, if you will. It's an outer covering. It's a house for the real you, but it's not the real you. Some of us, like me, got good-looking tents. Some of y'all, like Jerry, did not get good-looking tents. God's not a respecter of person. God's got a sense of humor. As some of you look in the mirror and see. The Bible says you not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both, soul and body in hell. Do not be afraid of those. The body makes a very clear distinction between the body and the soul. They're very, two very different things. When the day comes when your physical body dies, don't miss this, You'll be as alive as you ever were. Your soul will leave your body. And why people will mourn your physical body, people will be heartbroken over that and they will begin to make preparations for your funeral. Somebody will be making their famous potato salad at the reception. Somebody will be singing, go rest high on the mountain. Your soul will be more alive than it's ever been. The first funeral I ever did was a doozy. I was 22 years old. I was crazy nervous. The kid whose funeral I was doing it for had died falling off the back of a garbage truck. His family had been in the garbage business for years, so I couldn't have a normal funeral for my first one. 
instead of the hearse carrying the body, the garb, they devised this plane, this thing on the back of the garbage truck, and the garbage truck carried the body. I still to this day don't really understand this, but as they wheeled him into the church, the Thunder Rolls by Garth Brooks played. I don't know why, but it did. And I remember sitting up on stage, and I was already nervous, and Christine will attest to this. When I get nervous, I have a nervous laugh. does not go over good when me and Christine are fighting. And the nervous laugh kicks in because she thinks I'm laughing at her. I'm not. I still have a nervous laugh. So as I sat on stage and the thunder rolled, she could smell his perfume on the guy or whatever the stupid song's about. It has nothing to do with the guy falling off the back of a garbage truck and dying. I began to chuckle on stage. Went over like screen doors on a submarine. What they didn't realize was the body was there, the soul wasn't. John 11 says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and I am the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. They will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So we know some things. Again, not, not a fun sermon today, not the most practical sermon today, but an educational sermon. Sometimes it's my job to educate you. We're starting a series next week called Back to the Basics. We're going to go back and cover some things, and, and we're just going to educate you. I'm going to educate you on the power of a praying church. Doug Crumbly is going to be teaching on the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to tell you what week of the series we're doing this because you won't come, but for the first time in two years, I'm going to teach you on the principle of giving. If I told you when it was, you wouldn't come because people get funny when the preacher talks about money, but the reality is you need to hear it. It's going to be a fun series. We're going to get back to the basics because sometimes you've got to go back to move forward. Sometimes we want to be wowed by new things and we can't do the basic things. So we need a foundation is what I'm saying. So we need to understand that death is certain. We need to understand that the body and the soul separate. This is just a carrying case for us. I like to picture that my soul has a six-pack. Long, wavy, blonde hair. I don't know why, but smooth mocha skin. I like to picture other things that I won't tell you because they're inappropriate, but I like to think my soul is bad to the bone. Because I've accepted that my body's not. My body just gets old. Third thing I want you to know is when the soul separates, you'll face judgment. Hebrews 9, 7, just as people are destined to die once, after that they face the judgment. I don't know about you, but the thought of being judged by anyone, much less being judged by God, is sobering to me. I remember the first time I was ever judged for anything in my life. I was third grade. I entered the school talent show. I went to the tryouts. How many of you have ever heard of me sing? Anybody? Let me tell you something. I sing so, I'm not even saying this to be funny. I sing so bad that it hurts my own ears. Like I will be singing in the car, Christine, I'll look at her and be like, that was bad, wasn't it? It was bad. Like you know how some people sing bad, but in their own mind they think they sing good? I know I do not sing good. But in third grade, I thought I did. And being the pimp I was in third grade, I decided I was going to sing Open Arms by Journey <laughs> at the school talent show. Now, here's what you don't know about me. I did used to rap, and I actually traveled all over North Georgia rapping. That was later on in life. I'm not ever going to rap for you, so don't worry. But I was a cool rapping white boy before there was cool rapping white boys, all right? But at this time, I didn't know that I could rap. So I decided I was going to sing. 
They had to go to tryouts, and I began to sing. And I will never forget the look. I can remember the bee's name. Miss Gillespie. You say the bee's name? Yeah, because that's what she was, was a bee. She sat there looking horrified. I'm belting it out. She didn't stop me. She let me finish the whole song. When I got done, because she was an encourager, maybe this is why I am how I am today, and maybe she shaped me. She said, I want to encourage you to never sing again. She said, if I'm lying, I'm dying. She said, I literally think my ears are bleeding from what I just heard. As you can tell, I still have bitterness over that. I need to go find her on Facebook, actually. (laughs) But nobody likes to be judged. She was like Simon Cowell before there was a Simon Cowell. Miss Gillespie. But imagine being judged by God. After you die and your soul separates from your body, you're going to face a judgment that is worse than any talent show you've ever been in. So what's the Bible say about judgment? Here's where it gets a little weird and people have differing opinions on it and I get it. So I'm going to be very conservative in what I think it says. I'm going to kind of show you what the more conservative Bible scholars think. And I've got to be honest with you, I would tend to agree with their ideology on this. People that are smarter than me have debated this for years. And like I said, we'll all figure it out when we get to heaven. But there'll be two judgments as far as I can see. The first one is known as the Great White Throne Judgment. Great White Throne Judgment. Who's going to be there? Again, it's, it's debatable. What I tend to believe is that people who are non-believers will be at the Great White Throne Judgment. I don't believe believers will be there. I believe non-believers will be there and they will be judged on their deeds. Check it out, check it out. I'm going to tie this up in a minute to see if their deeds are good enough to get them into heaven. We already know the answer to that. The Bible says in Revelation, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens. i got to get some readers. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. It's a great white throne judgment. I tend to believe it's the unbelievers who are being judged there. Verse 15 says, Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown to the lake of fire. Great white throne judgment. Here's what we know. Dead people are there. Our soul leaves our body and our soul stands before. There are books. There's the book of life and there's other books. And apparently the other books record all the uh, good works that we've done and all the bad works that we've done. We don't really know. But we do know that if your name is not found in the one book, the book of life, then you're going to be judged by your works and your works will be found lacking. Scripturally, we know that we are not good enough on our own to get into heaven. So outside of Christ, we're judged. Those who don't know Christ are cast away. That's the great white throne judgment. The Bible says very clearly that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians 2. So if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you therefore will be judged by your works. And everyone who is judged by their works will be found lacking. They'll be sent to hell. Someone asked me, they said, do you believe in hell? I believe in hell. 100%. 
I believe the Bible teaches a hell. Now, I don't want, well, maybe I will a little bit in the sermon. I don't want to get into what hell is. Place of fire, place of damnation. A lot of debates on that. Was that a parable? Was it not a parable? I'm not going to get into all that today because we're not going to answer that question. Here's what I ultimately would tell you about what hell is. It's separation from God. It's separation from God. Great white throne judgment, those will be separated from God. The second judgment seat that we see is the judgment seat of Christ. I believe, according to the Bible and according to what I've read, you asked me the question. We're getting deep today. Please don't ask deep questions again because I hate getting deep. It's hard to leave the cookies on the bottom shelf today. I should have had Doug Crumbly teach this message. That's my new philosophy. If it's complicated, Doug's going to teach it. I'm glad he's here. If it's simple, I'm going to teach it. I don't believe the judgment seat of Christ has anything to do with judging whether or not we get into heaven or not. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers. Your eternal damnation is not judged there, but your deeds are judged there. And the rewards that we will get in heaven are determined there. This is where people say, if all I got to do is accept Christ, what does it matter how I live? Because here's the deal. There's rewards that we're giving and presented to in heaven. There's accomplishments that come along the way. I don't know what those look like. I'm going to get into some of those in a minute. I don't know if that means you get a mansion or you get a trailer. I don't know. But we're rewarded for our deeds, the life that we live. Romans says this. Romans 14 says, For we have all stand before God's judgment seat. 2 Corinthians says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, for the things that we've done while in the body, whether good or bad. So while it does not have a determining factor in us getting into heaven, there will be accountability for our good deeds and our bad deeds. You cannot get away from that. There's different crowns that we get. I don't know how many crowns there are. I believe there's probably thousands of different crowns, but the Bible does talk about five crowns. There's the, the ir, 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 um, excuse me, incorruptible crown. This is those that are seeking maturity in Christ, those that crave the things of God, those that get up and they study their Bible, they pray, they, they kinda, they, 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 they're active in the church, those who desire the things of God. Incorruptible crown. There's the crown of righteousness. That, that is for those who know this world is not our home, that there's another place for us. That this world is not about possessions. It's not about things. It's about longing for the return of Christ. The crown of righteousness. The crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing is for those that maybe have brought a friend to Christ. We had an influence and impact on them meeting the Lord. There's the crown of glory. Those for those who have served God, maybe pastors or Sunday school teachers, they've spent their life devoted to others. The crown of life, the Bible talks about. That is for those who kind of endured hard times. Went through tough times, but yet their faith never wavered. The judgment seat of Christ, we will be judged for those things. So what I'm trying to tell you is that there will be judgments as we die. So you're asking me what happens when we die. I'm just telling you my understanding of it the best I can. I was probably more stressed about this. I don't get stressed about message. I don't get nervous when I talk. Christine, what I say all week long? So I don't want to teach this thing. I normally come up here with about four pages of notes. When I wrote my sermon out today, it was 19 pages. I said, man, I got to go cut some stuff. Because it's a deep subject. It's a deep subject. And last, and we're going to wrap it up here, you'll spend eternity in either heaven or hell. The other stuff's really, while it's interesting, at the end of the day, this doesn't matter to me as much. This is where I want to focus today. 
When you take your last breath on this earth, your soul will leave your body. It will be judged. And listen to me, you will either enter in a place called heaven that was created for us, or you'll enter into a place called hell. Don't miss this. That wasn't created for us. Where you spend eternity all goes back to what you believe. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So we believe based on what Jesus said, and he either, he either was a liar, you've heard me preach that before, he was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was the Lord when he made that statement. That statement is a line in the sand statement. I just believe Jesus was a good man, but he wasn't the son of God. Then I don't know a good man that's a liar. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father except through me. I don't know a good man that's a lunatic. I know some crazy people. Told Kristen, I said, that person is crazy. She said, how do you know? I said, look at their eyes. Crazy eyes is a real thing. Amen, come on. Women, do men have crazy eyes? Y'all have that same phrase? Because we have that phrase for y'all. Like, she'd be fun. But the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for only a season. But she got crazy eyes, and when the crazy eyes kick in, she ain't going to be fun no more. But then she might kill me, so I'm just going to stay away. <laughs> crazy eyes is the real thing. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So he was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he's who he said he was, and he was the Lord. If you put your faith and your trust in Christ, we go to heaven. I feel like... We live in a day and time where we've watered down heaven. I don't think we understand the splendor of heaven. I don't think we understand how magnificent the place God has created for us. This world, and let me tell you something, I love this world. I love living. I have more fun asleep than most people have awake. Like, man, I love life. I'm talking about, man, I get up before the alarm goes off, my feet hit the ground, I flip the lights on, I got music blare. And, Christine, am I ever in a bad, unless you've made me mad the night before, am I ever in a bad mood when I get up? Never. It don't matter if I've had 10 hours sleep or had 3 hours sleep, man. I love life. I shoot down the steps. I pour a pre-workout, I go work out, then I come home and shoot that, follow that up with a rain energy drink, and man, I am good to go for the day. Love life. But as great as life on this earth is, we can't compare to what God's created for us. Yet we seem more excited about staying here than going there. This world is not our home. This is not the end destination. It's not something we just say when someone dies and we're at their funeral to make them feel better. Paul's walked away in prison. He said, for me to live is Christ. What he meant was, as long as I'm alive, I get to serve Christ. I get to be about God's mission. He said, but, but, but to die is gain. He said, if I take my last breath here, man, I gain everything. I gain heaven. The Bible says this about in 1 Corinthians. It said, I can't read these notes. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. What he's saying is we can't comprehend what he's created for us. Now let me tell y'all something. I got a crazy imagination. You don't even want to know what goes on up here. If I told most of you what went through my mind most of the time, you'd be in the corner sucking your thumb. People are like, he just says whatever he wants to on social media. I say about 10% of what I think on social media.
I got a crazy imagination. And he's saying, as crazy and as wild as your imagination is, you couldn't even comprehend what I've created for you. You think you've got an idea of what I've created for you? Your mind can't comprehend it. Your eye has never seen it. Your ear has never heard it. I have created a place that is so magnificent for you, and yet we act like it's a curse to go there. If we truly understood what God had created for us, we would not cry when believers passed on. Our hearts would cry. Selfishly, we would be hurt, but we would know honestly, and we would believe they're in a better place. So what Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And my father's house has many rooms. I like the King James. It says it has many mansions. I ain't never had a mansion. Now, I like to think my mansion is probably going to be a triple wide. Somehow on TikTok, I told Christine, what I tell you, I said, man, I am on the algorithm on TikTok of trailers. Like mobile homes. I'm getting all these mobile. There's some nice mobile homes out there nowadays. Like, I'm, I need one. I, I, listen, just give me a trailer. Now, you know where I want it. Put it right next to the Pastor Revolution Church's mansion. When he watches this online, Pastor Jason, I'm talking about you, buddy. Hope you're preaching great today. I hope you're winning people to Jesus today. I hope you have the biggest mansion because my trailer's going to be in the front yard. And every time I go to mailbox, my boxers and my wife beat her. I'm going to remind him, hey, I made it. You didn't think I was going to be here. <laughs> yeah, the car's on blocks and the refrigerator. I ain't got no doors in the front yard. Don't worry, the pit bull's on a leash. It ain't going to get in your yard. But I'm here. He said, my father's house has many mansions. And I like what he says. If it were not so, would I have not told you? that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you may be also where I am. Think about this for a minute. The God of the universe, the God who spoke everything into existence, the God who made everything out of nothing is creating a place for you and me. And when that place is ready, when our place is ready for us, he will come get us. That is not something we should dread. That's something we should be excited about. Paul said, I'm going to live every day that I can for the cause of Christ, but when I die, I gain everything. I walk streets of gold. I'm reunited with loved ones. Christine and I were at Longhorns the other night. Betty and Kylie and all them were over at Longhorn because they didn't invite us to come sit with them. So they were at another table. And the music was playing. And I knew this song, and I'm going to probably upset her here today, I don't, not mean to, but I knew the minute it came on, Christine looked at me, and I looked at Christine, because I knew it reminded her of her brother, but Give Heaven Some Hell came on from Hardy. And we knew Betty was probably heartbroken because they had played that at her brother's funeral, and, and I knew that's a very sentimental song for us. For her, excuse me. But what a powerful song. I love that song. And we get to go to heaven. Drive our lifted trucks down those streets of gold. Man. You think the moonshine here is good? Mm. You say, you believe that? Yeah, it's God's creation. Revelation 21 says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Let's stop there. New heaven's coming down, and it's prepared like a bride. Let me tell you something. Christine, what do I think is the most beautiful person in the world? There ain't nothing more beautiful than a bride. I'm going to be honest with you. I've seen some ugly women. I've done some, I almost said funerals, about the same thing. I've done a wedding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I've done some weddings for some ugly women. 
U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi, you ugly. Now, they was beautiful to the man they was married. And I always wonder, were they beautiful to the man they married or they just knew that's the best he could get? I always wonder that. But I ain't ever seen an ugly bride. When they come through that back door, it's my favorite thing. The day they've dressed up, the day they've lived for, he says, man, that's what heaven is going to be like for us. He puts it prepared as a bride. Think about how, how much work go a bride puts in to her wedding day. And that's what God's done with heaven. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with man, and he will live with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Mm. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Why do we not talk more about heaven? That's the destination. I like to think, the. I don't like to think it, but I, I, I've accepted the reason we don't talk more about it. It's deep in our heart. I don't know if we believe it's true. It makes me question our faith in Christ. It turns more into fire insurance than a longing for a place God created for us. Because if we truly understood how magnificent heaven was, we would long for it. We wouldn't dread it. I went a long time in my life, even after I accepted Christ, dreading dying because I love I loved living so much. This ain't living. This is getting through. This is a struggle. As good as life is, this is a struggle. This is drama-filled, sin-filled, hurt-filled, betrayal-filled. And yes, that's coming from someone who loves life. God says, we're going to get to heaven. There'll be none of that. Man. But there's another place, and it's called hell. The Bible says in Luke 16, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gates was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's tables. Even the dog came and licked his servants of two people. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell. In hell. I don't think hell was a real place. In hell. Where he was in torment. He looked up. Before we get the hells down. He looked up. And saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called out to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Because I am in agony in this fire. Some lessons from hell. First thing we see is that the rich man was fully conscious. He was very aware of where he was. There was no doubt that he was separated from God. There was a great chasm in between them. He was not able to block it out. He was not able to fool himself into thinking he was somewhere else. One thing that we see also is that his eternal destiny was fixed. Was fixed. Notice it didn't say he knew it was fixed. He didn't call and say, Father Abraham, give me another chance. It was fixed. He knew that he was there for eternity. Have you ever closed your eyes and tried to think about eternity? Your mind just rolls over and over and over because you can't comprehend it. He knew what he was experiencing was just. Never once in the story does he call out and ask, and say it's not fair. 
but he doesn't deserve it. He knew he had rejected Christ. If you go on and continue to read there, you'll see that eventually he says, Father Abel, can you send someone back just to warn my family? He pleaded for someone just to go back and plead with the loved ones that he had left behind to know Jesus because he wanted no one there to join him. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, and I'm done. The Lord is patient with you. The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So here's the deal. What happens when we die? Well, we're going to die. Soul's going to separate from the body. There's going to be a judgment, two judgments, one for believers, one for non-believers. And ultimately, we're going to spend eternity in a place called heaven or a place called hell. Now, here's what I need you to understand. What happens when you die? I'm going to repeat it. You will spend eternity in a place called heaven, or you will spend eternity in a place called hell. You spending in a place, eternity in a place called heaven has nothing to do with your good works. I'm going to say it again. You cannot earn your way into heaven. He was a good guy. Cool. You cannot buy your way into heaven. You cannot serve your way into heaven. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, I'm the way, the truth, life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Who do we call out to? We call out to God. We put our faith and our trust in what he did on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. I got to tell you something. That's good news. That's good news. I don't want my actions to determine where I spend eternity. I am flawed. I am broke, busted, and disgusted, son. I will let you down, and I have let people down, and there's no way I can do more good deeds than bad deeds. And I like to think I do some pretty good deeds. I do some pretty bad deeds. Thank God for Christ. Now, that is not a license. Again, we'll be, we'll be judged on our deeds here too. And we'll be rewarded. The judgment seat for that. But if you die today and you've never put your faith and your trust in Christ, you're going to spend eternity in a place called hell. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I didn't write the book. I'm just telling you what the book says. Well, I don't know that I believe the book. Well, My question for you is, if you die and I was right and you're wrong, who screwed? If you're right, no big deal. You lived a decent life and you came back as a tree. Cool. But if I'm right, so here's what I want to encourage you today. If you've never put your faith in Christ, I would encourage you to do that today. So how do I do that? It's just real simple. Right there in your seat, tell him. We're not going to do some kind of altar call. I'm not going to make you say some kind of prayer. That was Charles Finney, who was a lawyer, who was used to getting a decision after his speeches started the altar call. I'm not anti-altar call, so we make that clear. But he wanted a decision for his gospel presentation. You don't need to come down and pray some prayer. Again, it's not the prayer of salvation. It's the man of salvation. You put your faith and your trust in Christ. You say, well, that just seems like it's easy believism. Ain't that amazing? Christ did the complicated thing where all we got to do is the easy thing and put our faith and trust in him. God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't get into heaven on my own. I put my faith and my trust in what you did on the cross for me. Be the greatest decision you ever make. Well, it can't be that simple. It is that simple. So I got some questions. Well, find me after the service. If you're a female, go find my wife after the service. If you don't want to come talk to me, where's Doug? Raise your hand, Doug. Where's Doug at? Where's Doug? Where's Doug? Where's Doug? Right there. Go find Doug. He'll answer your questions. It's bright up here. Sorry. 
It's great for when I give number because in my mind there's 2,000 people here today. We're a mega church. I can't count. Mega church, Gary. Heaven or hell? It's your choice. But you got to decide. You wanted to know what happens when you die. The bottom line is you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. And the choice is yours.